This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Did I get you? Why does the Wi-Fi suck? Hello, hello, hello. This is the Adam Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have a fantastic episode for you today with a reoccurring guest, um, Nikolai Shermer. Uh, I really love talking to this dude. I've said this a million times, but he's one of my favorite guests to have on. He's a great talker. He's a great storyteller, um, and there's a lot to talk about. We kind of talk about his new... He's got two new films dropping this fall, um, Wavy 2, which is the sequel to Wavy, uh, which if you haven't seen, you should go watch right now. Um, and then, uh, eulogy of a skier, I believe is what he called it. I just want to make sure before I actually tell you that eulogy of a steep skier is what it's called. Um, I got the name wrong like four times, so it is what it is. We're rolling with it. Um, anyway, Nikolai is one of my favorite people to have on the show. Um, we talk about his gear. We talk about the progression of ski gear in general, uh, we talk about living in Norway, what that's like. We talk about obviously the new films and what he likes in ski movies um, and why he feels like his stuff is a little different, what's different about it in general. And then obviously we talk about things like getting paid in the ski industry and why that shit sucks. And uh, we kind of go deep on a lot of stuff here. So uh, thank you to Nikolai as usual for spending the time with me. Uh, the dude is uh, the dude's gem. So uh, enjoy the episode. few things before we get started uh, and roll into some ads and then the episode. Uh, Michelle Parker's new show, Care Less, Do More, drops tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Monday, um, if you're listening to it any other day, it is out now. Episode one is out in the wild of Care Less, Do More. So please go listen to that show. Support Michelle. Support what we do here uh, and enjoy it. I mean, it's, she's such a good interviewer. She's su- such a good talker. Already a better interviewer than me on day one. So... Um, enjoy obviously listen to the other shows on the network as well in the pursuit coffee and van chats and then big stick energy Uh, michelle's show will be alternating with big stick on tuesdays so keep that in mind uh on the youtube front if you're interested in watching the interviews they are filmed in the studio um super high quality we're getting the formula down a bit here so all of those interviews as of late are available um at the out of collective youtube channel uh, as well as weekly news segments, which is the thing that we're doing now, gear reviews, which we've gone heavy in, as well as some other fun stuff. So get on it. Gear guides are shipping. That's also a thing. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. Uh, my head's spinning. My head is spinning, and I am tired. But other than that, we're having a great time, and we will see you guys in a million different places this fall and winter. Uh before we jump into the episode, we have to pay for bills. Pay pay for bills? We have to pay bills? Is it pay for bills or pay bills? Pay bills. Um, number one, our friends at Gravity Grabber are a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast and the Out of Collective. They make the best ski storage solution on the market. It's been around for a while. You can hold everything from your skis, your snowboards, your broomsticks, your rakes, uh, your arms, whatever you want. You can hold on to just about anything with a Gravity Grabber. So... Uh, you can go to gravitygrabber.com and use promo code out of bounds and save 15% off of your purchase. Uh, and honestly, it's just the thing you need. If you have kids, if you have skis, if you have snowboards, if you have things that need hanging and storage, get it. It's also really nice because it comes with these neat little ski cleaning thingies. 
um, like little cloths so you can clean your skis so your stuff doesn't rust and it all will hang dry, which is, uh, which is pretty dope. So, uh, check out gravitygrabber.com. Once again, use promo code out of bounds, save yourself 15% off and you can buy them in one pack, two pack, three pack, or a six pack. Cool. Uh, next, our friends at Mamu are a sponsor of the out of bounds podcast. Ethan already knows where I'm going with this. It is avalanche safety. Uh, they are the very best when it comes to buying a new beacon, when it comes to buying a new avalanche safety product, whether it's a beacon shovel or probe, uh, or an airbag, this stuff is point blank the best, right? That's it. End of story. Um, you can go to memu.com and use promo code out of bounds, 25 capital O capital O capital B 25 to save 25% off on your purchase. This is a ridiculous deal. And if you're not taking advantage of it, that is on you. Um, if you decide to buy one at $500 in the regular season, that is on you. And I, uh, I don't feel bad because we're giving you 25% off right now in prime sell through season. So, uh, mammoth.com promo code out of bounds, 25 capital O capital O capital B stay safe out there. Okay, cool. Uh, woodchuck, a lot of ads today. Look at that. Ethan lining up the ads back to back to back. Hopefully these are interesting enough ads that people actually listen to. I think they are. Sometimes I think I'm funny. This is maybe not one of those times, but I'm funny. I'm funny sometimes, I think. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe no one thinks I'm funny. <laughs> I'm sad. Uh, woodchuck.com. Go to Woodchuck. Check out all of the offerings that the wonderful people at Woodchuck Cider and Woodchuck Hard Cider have to offer. Um, they have everything from Granny Smith, Amber, Persecco, Sangria, Rosé, Raspberry, Pear, uh, as well as Bellini, um what else they got ethan ethan can we get some new flavors here they got blueberry what else they got there's a million different flavors here um dark and dry i don't know what that one is what is that does it say traditional semi-dry apple wow i can't read it's literally right in front of me um woodchuck is a vermont-based company and uh and obviously they make some super high quality vermont product um so check it out must be 21 years of age or older uh to consume this product because obviously there's alcohol in it. So that's what makes it a hard cider. That's what makes it a hard cider in case you were wondering. Um, but gluten-free accidentally since 1991. I'm just reading stuff off the screen at this point. But uh, check out the wonderful people at Woodchuck. You can visit them in Vermont um, at their cidery. Um, you can also purchase it at most beverage stores at this point in time. So check it out. And uh, that's it for today. We'll see you guys after this one, or I guess I'll see you during the episode if you're watching the YouTube bit. Uh, but for now, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Nikolai Shermer. So I'm Nikolai Shermer. I'm from Norway. I'm a skier and I'm a filmmaker. I make a bunch of like short films, longer films, uh, put them up on YouTube, do some collaborations with like regular production companies, Matchstick, Vitaliglis, um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, definitely like combining skiing, and video production and then showing people what I do in the mountain. Nice. You really like the video production side still, right? Like that's a thing that you actually enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm having a ton of fun with it. Like, I mean, the volume of it can get to me, like just the amount that I'm doing sometimes, but, uh, I, I love the, I love it. I'm sitting with a project right now, which is just, yeah, so much fun. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. What? So you have two projects that are coming out. This year, one is coming out October, right? And one is coming out in December? Um, 
Yeah. So there's like a bit of a content package being rolled out now. So there's Eulogy of a Steep Skier, which is a short film uh, about someone like a steep skier, maybe two, who knows? Uh, and uh, it's 23 minutes long. It's going to come out October 24th on my channel. It's currently on tour, like on physical screenings. And then we're doing the sequel to Wavy. Yep. So last year with Wavy, the first Wavy, uh, the last voyage of Sophia and Captain Crocs. And now uh, Wavy, the voyage to the end of the world is coming out in December, which is like a longer movie, like a full, full scale movie from a trip to Svalbard. And then in addition to that, I'm also doing a web series um, that's uh, going to come out on my channel. That's like five episodes uh, like 15 minutes kind of that's going to come on my youtube channel like every week uh after the eulogy film is dropped okay how so all of this was filmed last season yeah yeah so you managed to recover from an achilles injury a horrible crash to start your season and film all this stuff last season yeah yeah but i mean i have like uh i mean my way of of making ski films is kind of I different i think you know because i'll go out and i'll tell the story of one day in the mountain and make a film about that right. whereas you know my buddies are making more like traditional ski films they'll put like two days into getting five seconds right so i think you know so yeah i, I wouldn't like give myself the biggest pat on the back it's just a different production method kind of i guess but you're putting out like the same kind of stuff that people are working all season for in like a few days of like filming, I guess, right? Like you're telling the story of one day, like you just said. So it's it's different than people who put together like this whole traditional ski film. And obviously it's a different thing. It's a different feel. It's like a it's like your point of view of a of a trip or an adventure or whatever. It's it's a different thing, but it's uh it's kind of the same. Like you're still touring it. You're still gonna put it out and there's still gonna be some sort of premiere for it yeah totally no and, and i'm really stoked on the content this year uh we've done uh we've done some really cool stuff had some really cool trips and uh yeah there's drama there's friendship there's uh good skiing bad skiing uh all kinds of stuff like just one episode my I, my little brother he has this thing where he wants to uh to, you know join the ski movie production so i have the bring your brother to work week every year <laughs> And uh, and last year, I tried to come out. He broke his hand like the first day. Went to the hospital. Had to call mom. Like, hey, mom, sorry, <laughs> little brother, went down. And then this year, he tries to come out again, and he falls down. He fell like twelve hundred feet down a mountain. What? Like, it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, it was the longest fall I've ever seen. Like you sit. Imagine like a proper Alaskan like big mountain face. And I'm there with uh, Jakob Wester. Do you remember him? Yeah and uh some other guys and we're up there and and Severin is joining you know he's, he's a, like he's a good skier but it doesn't ski all that much and he's uh you know 22 at the time and we're up there and i'm telling him like okay you've never done this before i know there's like two drones and the camera person and like there's obviously pressure like jacob's here he's a legend but like just take it easy just don't fall okay and he just like, like goes all in like charging like 100% and the start is like steep you're talking like 50% like fluted <laughs> spiny thing and he just sends it in this like five turns high sides loses both his skis and tomahawks like the whole mountain so yeah there's some um there's some interesting moments in this uh season's content for sure how scary is that for you like to watch your brother tumbling 1200 feet? like that's 
not great. It so Dude, it was so scary. And and it took a while, right? He fell for almost a minute, like 54 seconds. We timed it. And um, and at the start, I was just like, you know, making this like Instagram story with my phone, like, yeah, bro, keep going. And then he's just like falling. And I'm like, oh, he's falling. That's kind of funny. And then like he just keeps falling. I have to put the phone away and be like, oh, I can't feel my brother falling to his death. You know, that's gonna be terrible. Oh um, God. But uh, no, luckily he was all good and and um he, he didn't have like a single scratch. He was totally fine, 100 percent And um and like the next day we just go to the resort and like cruise around to piss, then he falls on a roller and like he hurts himself like way worse. So I think it's fine. Like I don't know. I feel like you can he can look super gnarly and still be okay <laughs> yeah yeah some of that shit is terrifying like i i actually i rewatched wavy a few weeks ago and i was like that's actually when i reached back out to you because i was like okay we should talk again like this was really good i the first time i watched it it was almost like i watched it in prep so like i didn't actually watch it like a film i watched it in short bits and like kind of took note of it whatever whatever this time i just watched it like front to back and i i actually didn't process the skiing as much as i processed like the storytelling the first time the second time i pretty much was like solely focused on the skiing aspect of it and some of that shit that you guys are skiing is so fast it it, especially watching christer ski it on a or ride it on a snowboard is so fucking terrifying like what how do you feel when you're doing that yeah like how do you feel when you're watching him well i don't know i mean that one cool r in in wavy the first wavy is um I mean, to like he the thing there with the snowboard, you could actually turn your snowboard sideways. Yeah. So it did have a little more control. It was too narrow for the skis. But yeah, watching him generally, like it's super scary. And to me, that's terrifying because I'm such a bad snowboarder. Like when I watch him, I'm like, holy hell, how are you doing that? And also, you know, you have one edge. I imagine like if like if one your edge kind of gets like a little hit or like a little blow and you kind of lose balance, you're just out. Whereas like I feel like with two skis going really fast, I do feel like there's more like uh, leeway in a way or like you have more of a chance like recover if one edge kind of gets hit by a chunk or something but i don't know he he manages to do it and i've never like seen him take a bad fall but it's yeah it's pretty scary and he has such a strong you know mentality yeah. he'll just go no matter what and uh it's it's super fun to be out with him because you push yourself and and i know that whatever i can ride he can ride sort of thing right so it's a really good it's really good to have that support in the mountain of someone who's like at a really high level because I can always ask him like, do you think this is even possible like physically to like lose your speed there or do that turn or whatever? And I know that his assessment is like valid and true. Whereas like I have my other friend Tour Thor, and whenever I ask him if something's possible, he's like, you're gonna die for sure. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and and with Chris, it's like he's like, yeah, you might be able to be okay, and that's that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have that. To bounce off of so it, it kind of seems like in wavy two or not in wavy two in uh uh eulogy gear yes what it seems like you guys are on opposite trajectories almost like where he's trying to go steeper and steeper and more aggressive and then in there's like this clip where he calls you soft like getting softer year after year it's like with a girlfriend he goes soft without a girlfriend somehow he got softer like what <laughs> how how has that been <laughs> Yeah, so Krister, uh, like, I will like, do a little intro on him. Like, if you don't know Krister, he's like for sure one of like the gnarliest big mountain snowboarders in the world. Like, yeah. I don't see it's like you remember Jeremy Jones like back in the day when he was like charging straight right. down Alaska places. Krister's doing that, but he's touring 
in like hard boots and climbing <laughs> on these things and then sending it down there. So it's pretty wild. And we've been writing together for, I don't know, like the past four years. Like he's been pretty much my main writing partner. We've done some pretty cool stuff. Um, but he has sort of had this pull towards, you know, steep skiing and like mountaineering. And I feel like a lot of my partners have that, like in the mountain, uh, in the past as well, especially when I was living in Chamonix for a few winters. Um, and they're sort of pulled into this terrain and Krista is attracted to this terrain where the consequences are so high. You know, your your whole run is like, in, you know, it's a 3000 foot run and it's all above like a huge massive cliff and it's 50, 60 degrees. And it's so gnarly that you end up, you know, you're basically you know, punching an ice axe, doing like sort of like a jump turn, punching an ice axe, doing a jump turn, maybe a rappel, stuff like that. And so if you make like a wrong turn and you start tumbling, you fall off a cliff and you die. And if you've done any sort of snow assessment, that's, that's, you know, wrong. You've, you know, you wipe out and you, there's, you fall off a cliff. And, um, and I get the attraction there because you're like, you get to go into these insane places. And I mean, everyone's seen what Andreas Franson was doing, right? Um, there is this pull towards, towards the mountain in that way. But like, to me, I don't get the reward. So I've been in those situations, I've done those kind of runs, you know, the classic runs in Chamonix and around Norway and wherever. And uh, I just feel kind of empty when I come down after something like that. Mm. I feel, um, yeah, just like, oh, I survived, sweet. But whereas when I um, when I ride uh, free ride, you know, when I do like a fast line, do some airs, big slashes, I'm like on the edge. I'm like, oh my God, that was insane. I love it. <laughs> I'll come down and be like filled with like adrenaline and endorphins. And it's like, that was the sickest shit ever. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, did, I, don't, I didn't have that pull as much as he did. And so Christopher this year, he wanted to ride the biggest mountain in Lingen in, the, in northern Norway, uh, the steepest, uh, gnarliest stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to ride more free ride. So we kind of parted ways. Yeah. And we had a bit of a like a partner breakup, if that makes sense. Mountain <laughs> partner breakup. <laughs> so this film is like, it's like a romantic, it's like a buddy romantic comedy about our breakup and then possibly getting back together. There's all kinds of stuff happening. You know, we break up, it's sad. And then I get a new partner, he gets a new partner, but then the conditions line up for both free ride and steep skiing in this glacier zone uh, where, where the biggest mountains are both for both things. And uh, we end up both going there with our new partners. And then we're in this situation, you know, where, you know, you split up with your, with your, with your girlfriend, you go on holidays with your new girlfriend, and then your ex arrives with her new boyfriend and you're like, well, that's weird. And then we're up there and they're trying to do their thing. We're trying to do our thing. And, you know, his thing is so gnarly and we're just kind of playing around and having fun. So that plays into his mentality and then all kinds of stuff happens. I'm not going to spoil the movie, but maybe there's a happy ending. Maybe not. We'll yeah, see. it was uh, it was really well done. I thought it was really well laid out. And it's I mean, it's not that long, but it's long enough where you're like, this is a full on story. And I feel like I say it's not that long, but it's it's longer than a lot of the stuff that I've watched already for ski movies, because and I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like ski movies are getting shorter, like especially when people put them out like their season movie or whatever, like Parker put his thing out something. And it's only yeah. like five or six minutes and you're like, okay, this is weird. Cause the first one was like 12 or 15 and the second one was about 12 or 15. And then the next one is five, but I've seen, I went to level one on Friday. Their 
film premiere, and it seems like everything that was there was sub eight minutes. So I don't know. In in my head, it's like it's short, but it's actually not short because like you're telling this long story almost. But I guess that's kind of that's kind of what you need to do to frame it. But I almost feel like I could watch it over and over. Like I I could keep watching that story play on, right? Um, yeah. Thanks. But I agree. Things are getting shorter, and like, um, but I think it has to do with like narrative structure too. Like, if may, I, I honestly, personally, I, I do feel like pure action kind of gets boring after five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's what these other guys are feeling too. So they compress their their work. Yeah. Um, and, and with this eulogy film, it's more like the action kind of it's there, but it's not the main story. It's just kind of. Or it is in the way of the main story. It's like what we're trying to do are these lines that you see in the movie. That's what we're, you know, living for and working for and everything. But yeah, I think the the thing that kind of draws it out is this other story like that you can watch. And it's only from, you know, we're only up there for four days. Yeah. The whole film is only four days. So it's, uh, I mean, and then again, with some backstory. But um, yeah, glad you liked it. That's good. You want to entertain. That's the goal here. Right? It was good. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the thing. And I think you make a good point, right? It's the the skiing is like the climax of it in a sense, but the, the storytelling is what keeps you there and keeps you wanting more. Like, cause you feel like you could keep listening to this kind of stuff. It's almost like, like when I listen to an interview that I'm really engaged in, right. And it ends, I'm like, okay, like I could still listen to this for another two, three hours or whatever. Right. It's kind of the same feeling in the way that you're telling stories in video form. Yeah. Thanks. Then, then it's working. That's good. It's working. And it's interesting. You have this, like you have this arc in the film, like, at first, I, w- I got to a point, I feel like the story is me and Krista and our relationship back and forth. And then I got to a certain point in the in the film and like in the edit where that had been resolved. But kind of the last big mission, like ski-wise, hadn't happened yet. But then when like the story element had been resolved, I was like, oh, now I can't really like throw it out anymore. I kind of have to cap it here. Like the story is actually over. And I kind of have to fast forward a little bit to get to this last little skiing. Whereas if the just the skiing was the story there, I would have probably made, maybe drawn it out a little bit more and like built up that last objective, maybe over two, three more minutes just to right. frame it more. But then I felt in this edit, like that isn't actually the story. The Chris story here is mine and Christopher's relationship. Yeah, no, I like that. And I, I think that's, that's very much how it came across. So I think that's, I think that's good. I think people will, will attach themselves to that really well, but I guess on the on the storytelling aspect of it, are are there other like film companies in skiing that you're seeing do this kind of thing? Because I feel like people used to do this a bit, right? Like there's always the classic Warren Miller, whatever, and they do like the little voiceover and like that's that's okay. It's not really storytelling, it's just kind of framing a situation. But I feel like like in Claim, for example, it was like from two thousand and eight, like I, I always remember this movie because there's bits and pieces where either Colby West is like kind of transitioning it and he has his story and he's like telling stuff throughout the film. And then there's also before they go in to ski, whatever they're about to ski, you get like the, almost like these athlete interviews. So it kind of frames everything a little bit different, but I feel like over the last few years that's happened less and less. So I don't know. Do you, do you like other film companies and what they put out for this, like in the same way that you do things or I don't know, like what, what attracts you to what other companies do? Um, well, I, I guess like my main inspiration is actually, I mean, obviously I watched all the ski movie, big companies as the kid, of course, but like for this kind of more story centered um, approach, it's actually climbing movies. 
Renan Osterk um, and like Jimmy Chin and those guys. Yeah. Inspiration for the style of uh, production that I'm doing now is like, yeah, Renan Osterk, Jimmy Chin, this sort of generation of uh, climbing filmmakers and how and how they've been doing. That's been a huge inspiration for me. And like, I've been like basically ripping off a bunch of stuff <laughs> that they've been doing. But um, yeah, and I, and I do like other ski films when there is story. I just think like, the story of oh it's sick we're skiing pow right it's not us you know that's hard to tell that's super hard to tell that's like okay that's not super interesting and maybe that's why other people are cutting more of that yeah and um yeah just kind of goofing around but um but i guess i think you need like a, a few elements to tell a story like you need maybe some conflict in between some people yeah um you need you need goals like okay what are we actually trying to achieve here right. what, are, what are the characters in this film like where are they going like and what kind of struggles are they facing on their path towards the goals that they have and when the goal is just to have fun and do sick shit and you do that from the first frame then you already achieve your goals and it's kind of flat in a way right yeah it's and like, then it's a high bar but it's really it's yeah sorry no yeah it's like a high bar but it's flat the whole time like there's not really like a, there's no peak in it exactly exactly so i think to actually have yeah, like a narrative arc you need to like start at some kind of yeah starting point and you got to work towards some kind of peak and the good thing about skiing and especially ski touring is that you are working towards a very physical peak so right. it's easier to tell that story you know and uh, and you're always and you have all these struggles you're concerned about the weather you're concerned about the snow you're concerned about the line you're gonna ride etc so there's all these elements that's easy to tie together to tell a story Whereas if you're you're working with more of like a traditional part where it's, you know, just shredding, it's, um, yeah, I guess it's a bit harder. And then like, I, I love, you know, like watching Sammy's new edit. Yeah. Every season. I it's love that. Shit. Like that yeah. Uh, Forre, the Swedish uh, Finnish uh, crew. Yeah. Young kids. Dude, that Norway. shit was crazy. Yeah. That was so nuts. Especially that ender. Yeah. Holy hell. You think it's over? Yeah. <laughs> And it's not because he's yeah. just gonna go twice as big. And do it like it's so nuts! Oh my god! Yeah, the crew in Burlington was like blown away by that. Thing. Like everybody was just losing their shit, and that's how you know it's like a. But that's kind of the thing, right? Is with park skiing, you can have like hammers after hammers after ha like it can just keep going and going and going. With big yeah. mountain skiing, sometimes I feel like it. It's harder to grasp what they're doing because it's so yeah. big like they they don't understand necessarily the skill it's not it's not the quality of the skiing that's the problem right it's the way that the skiing is told almost is yeah, I feel like, yeah. is different. big mountain skiing context right right exactly like look at the 50 project for example like that's the that's the easiest example that i can think of it's like when cody does that shit he's telling a story every episode exactly yeah right and people love the 50 50 is blowing up oh it's my cool. god Cody's going to have a career for the rest of his life just doing the 50. He could just do two lines a year for the rest of his <laughs> life and do that. He should do like the 50 and then they should do like 150. <laughs> you know, with like Pokemon, when it came out, it was just like, I don't know how many were there, like 50 Pokemon and then we just add new Pokemon every year or two. It'll be the same with the 50. And just start skiing like local ski hills and, and that's he's just going to ski every hill in America. Or yeah, that's uh, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, it's super cool to watch Cody stuff too. I think it's cool now with ski films 
at, at the high five too like yeah sure there's like a lot of tradition traditional stuff but there's also like a lot of like experimental kind of weird like there's so much going on and there's like this yeah there's just like a multitude of different people doing so much different stuff and i think it's really cool to see yeah it's uh, it's a little more perspective right it's an individual perspective more than just uh like a production company i guess and and that's more interesting to me i still think those production companies are really valuable to especially people getting into the sport right but when you're in the sport it's almost like okay we get it right like it's very seldom you see something like actually different uh from one of those companies yeah true and and i think it's like i think it depends on because that's one thing i was thinking about too because i was in this award like i got nominated for best short uh, and this festival and I'm like, that's cool thank you and then i look at the other films and then it's like fora it's samis film it's some other films and and i'm like wow but it's like we're not even like in the same category because i'm like i went out four days camping and drinking coffee and having a romantic meltdown with my buddy right. and uh, and these guys are out for a full season like getting hammers like getting shooting bangers and like throwing down and it's like it's a different thing i feel like it's interesting i feel like the purpose of those segments are in a way just what is the best skiing that happened this season right it's like a it's like a video contest of the best skiing it's like the skiing is just in the center of it and also there's beautiful shots but i was like i was just thinking like this is kind of weird like i don't feel like we're doing the same thing in a way yeah so but um yeah, no, it's cool. I'm excited to see everything that comes out at that. So if people don't know the High Five Festival, it's a festival in Annecy, France, and it's huge. I had no idea how big it was. I think someone told me there was like 30,000 people there. Or yeah, something. it's huge. It's like festival area. They have like, it's like being at like a music festival. Yeah. And they have a whole like cinema with like multiple rooms, all screening like ski films three days straight from like morning to night. And everyone's there like at least like more, more like all of the European skiing community and like a bunch of the American side. So I was just like fanboying going around like, <laughs> I love your shit. I love your shit. You're amazing. You're so cool. That edit that trick. Oh my God. Like meeting all my heroes. And then the snowboarders were there who were extra cool. Yeah. I was like <laughs> on the shuttle with Kevin Backstrom. Like, Oh, you're like, you're super cool. <laughs> yeah. Legend. Yeah. So that was really fun. So if people haven't been, I highly recommend going. And Annecy is like an amazing place. Yeah, I've heard. I haven't been yet. I need to go. That was I was trying to make it on my schedule this year, but it's just not. It it didn't happen. So next year, hopefully, that'll be that'll be on the list. Yeah, you should try go. Like it would be huge for networking, and it's like yeah, there's like I felt like everyone was just like running around getting. I spoke to like five or five buddies for like getting new sponsors, new agents, like all kinds yeah. of stuff happening. It's like yeah yeah on that topic kind of do you do you work with an agent at all uh no no i have tried a little bit in the past but uh no i no no i don't I, I just think like i have a very personal relationship with most of my sponsors right like uh like norena and black rose we've working together for like almost a decade both of them like over a decade with norena almost a decade with black rose and like i know them like we talk about how we're doing like physically and like life everything. Yeah. So it's like yeah life you know we're buddies and uh and then i feel like an agent would just kind of come in between that and i tried to bring an agent on just to like bring in like other you know i don't know like mainstream sponsors stuff like that but he wasn't really delivering the goods so i was like i don't need 
Yeah. I don't need that. And and I also feel like personally, like if like trying to sell projects to brands or like selling yourself as an athlete to a company or like pitch yourself is really you're starting like you're fighting an uphill battle. Right. Like most of my collaborations and most of the most of the things that I do come from like brands coming to me and being like, hey, we love what you do. We're fans. Let's try to do something together. Because then they have already done that. Oh, a TV in the back it's happening. <laughs> Gotta watch some good it's movies okay. on it. It's okay. Yeah, there's gonna be plenty of good movies. Yeah, that's what what we have uh, roommates for, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah. No. No. And then because then the brands have already done the work of like right allocating budget and like making a plan for this thing happening. Whereas if you come to a brand and and they've never heard about you or maybe they have but they haven't thought about doing something with you i mean generally like there's not like like money to spare there's very few brands like very few marketing managers or team managers they're like oh shit i have like ten thousand dollars sitting in my budget here that i don't know what to use yeah what to spend on so yeah if that process has already happened it's way smoother to to do something uh after i think so yeah yeah yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? Like, how do you, how do you figure out how to even ask for what you're worth? That's a thing that I think people have such a hard time with in skiing. Like, people don't know how to figure out what their value is for something, either as a, as a regular sponsor or for a project. Yeah, so I think there's two, two entry, like two ways in there. I think first you got to recognize, okay, the business model is marketing. Right. That's what you're doing. That's what you're, the product you're selling is marketing, uh, branding, creating a story around the brand. And then, of course, you can look at like what, how do other um, people in the industry price that? Like, what does the company pay for a two-page two spread in like a lifestyle magazine or you know a TV ad? And then you can compare compare that price, that reach to the reach you have. And like, I'll price myself like I'm cheaper than Google Ads. Mm. Like with my when I talk to my sponsors, I'm like, you realize this is a really really good deal, right? Because what you like, you'll get more sponsoring me and my projects. Like it's cheaper than just buying Google ads. And then we haven't even like factored in production and not even like what I do on Instagram and events and all these other things. That's just like the YouTube reach. Right. It's, it's cheaper for them to put a logo on my thing than to like buy a YouTube, um, YouTube ad, like the cost per view. So I don't know that that's kind of what I do. And then also it's just like a human thing. Like, uh, like with the people I work with uh, for filming and stuff, I'll be like, okay, what's the average wage in Norway? Okay, that's that. Okay, we'll, I'll bump that up a little bit and then we'll go from that and then I'll pay you this. Like um, like with the people that I hire. So it's like, I feel like one thing is the market, like what's the market price for things? And then one thing is like, okay, what is decent? Like what does common decency require right. in paying someone to do some kind of work? Right. Um, and I think that's like, where that's the area where I feel like the ski industry has the longest way to go because there is a long tradition still ongoing of just not paying people to work, yeah. which is like kind of shady if you ask me. Oh, like, it's super shady. I don't understand why it's like that. Like we're a small company and like we pay everybody, right? Like we pay the other hosts. We pay, <clears throat> like we just hired an editor and like we put it out. Like we're like, here, this is how much we're paying. Apply for the job, right? Like that's how I want to do things. And I think that nobody else 
seems like they're doing that kind of shit. It's like, yeah, apply for the job. And then they'll like assess what you're going to get paid based on what they feel like that day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's not, I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of bad. And then there's also like, here's another problem in the industry that I'll just point out. Like I love my sponsors, but, and this, every brand does this. So it's not like directed at them, but like, there's like every contract is like a cause for secrecy. Like you're not allowed to tell people what you're making. So there's no way for like skiers to actually like legally like figure out like what's, what is the average like paycheck that people yeah. are making. But, but it is hard because you are, you're not actually an employee of these companies, right? You're actually more like an agency selling advertising space and like a marketing service. But I think that's the correct way to view it. Like, um, because what you're selling, you're a ba- you're a billboard, right? So you're selling this this service, and if your service is isn't reaching very many people, maybe it's not worth that much, and you should have like a side gig. So that's the thing. Right. And it's like, and then and now I'm and if you just listen to what I said the past five minutes, you might think that I'm very focused on just the reach and just the marketing and everything. But of course, there has to be integrity. Like there has to be have to be a, a quality skier and a quality person for the reach to have an effect. I think. No, you know people I mean? have to like you. Like that's the point is they have to actually attach themselves to what you do. Yeah, and if you're like if you're skiing a little bit, but then you're also like doing some cute kitten videos and you get ten million views a day on TikTok, <laughs> I'm not sure that actually translates to ski sales. You know? Right. Right. No, I actually just had this conversation with uh, with a team guy, and we're like, it is there are there is a difference to like views and reach like it's not all the same not all views are the same you know what i mean no for sure and they're not i mean it's like when we when we sell stuff to ski brands it's a very different price than what when we sell stuff to like a general outdoor brand right because like i know we'll sell x amount of skis per year for a company like we work with fisher for example and it's like i know guaranteed we'll sell no less than 100 pairs of skis a year like i i'm like fully certain that that's a that's a fact so i can go with that number and be like, look, this is the minimum that we'll sell. And that's like on a slow year or whatever, right? Like we we know what we can do. It's very different than like if you want to sponsor us for like tents, you know, like camping tents. I, I'm not a expert on tents. I don't, I, I just don't know. So it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard because there are these like industry things that work within the industry. Like I, I work with a car company for them, Polestar, right. great cars. But like, I don't know, like how many cars do you sell in the yeah. season? I don't know. But if you got to sell like 10 cars, that's a huge turnaround, like turnover. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it is kind of a shame that, I mean, it's not a shame. I don't know. It is strange that you have this business model. I've thought about maybe having like a paywall would be good or, other kinds of ways to do this and i think there is for sure i do see people being frustrated with skill on snow not translating to necessarily opportunity in the ski industry yeah and you know, it's this joke ski good money will come yeah and it's just not true yeah which right. is kind of bad <laughs> <laughs> but then i think it's like that i think it's like that in every every aspect of life in a way like I have this one image of like, so I think like music industry is similar. Like if you're, if you have Beyonce's voice, but you're only singing in the shower, that Mm -hmm. doesn't translate to value. Like Beyonce is Beyonce because Beyonce can sing to an audience of hundred million people with her voice. Like her voice alone doesn't hold the value. It's her voice combined with the audience she reaches with it. 
And I think that's kind of a good way to look at it if you're an up and coming skier. Yeah. Like you need the voice, like you need the skill, but then also you need the audience and for, yeah. for, to have people enjoy it. Like that's 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 the goal, right? To to create the pleasure and, and enjoyment for other people. Right. Yeah. And it's it's tough because it's very genuine for when some people do it, right? Like you're creating stuff you love to do and you're telling stories that you love to tell. And that's like people really love that versus like you make a 10 second TikTok that took, you know, like, and I'm guilty of this all the time. Like we make some shit and I'm like, this is garbage content. Right. And it'll <laughs> fucking kill. And I'm like, this is the shit I don't want to make. Or like I go and I post a meme. Right. And it'll get like reach of a hundred thousand or whatever. And I'm like, this is, this is trash. I made this like while I was taking a shit this morning, not while <laughs> I was like, actually, and then we'll go and we'll film something that's like beautiful and well done that we're really proud of you know, and yeah. reaches like a couple thousand or something. And it's just, it, it's what the internet wants. And some, there is a certain level where you're feeding the machine, but you also have yeah. to like be conscious of the fact that the the quality does matter long-term. It's what people, the people that matter look at, I guess, in some, in some ways. Yeah. And that, that was like the kindest like words I got this weekend at the Hi-Fi Festival, like from like people that I really look up to would come and say like, Hey, I love your stuff. It has really high quality. Like, yeah. You, you do good work and i was like thanks like that's kind and yeah. and because i do i do put effort into the work but at the same time you know that meme that is quality too that talks <sighs> to something in humans and it's like maybe you were taking a shit got inspired felt felt the you know the aura of the toilet and then <laughs> the magic and I, th- I don't think that should be discounted either because i mean <clears throat> i have like i have some friends like i'll do a shout out elizabeth matisse yeah. she's a local skier in the northern norway has like 60 70 000 followers on instagram i think and um some other some people will like talk shit about her and be like oh she's just like an instagram girl blah 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 but i look at her content i'm like she put in work here and she like you know yeah she's sitting on a mountain with a dog in the sunset but <laughs> it's 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 graded well it's a nice composition she's put it together she posted it she wrote a caption like there's work and talent and she has that reach and my buddy who's like a, a snowboarder drinking beer that's like it doesn't do that and then it doesn't like right. get what she does. and i'm like i don't know i feel like it's very easy to like hate on hate on people's success in social media because right. it can seem shallow but a lot of it like it takes work, you know. So yeah. I, I, I give it to you know, like people like uh, yeah, like Malou and Kaisa and that whole crew, yeah, who get a lot of hate for being like Instagram girls of skiing. I say them. I yeah. respect what they're doing. I think it's cool. That'll be nice. She's on next week. So Malou is on next week. So I hope, <laughs> I hope she gets to hear this ahead of time. So <laughs> give her a high five for me. <laughs> I will. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 funny yeah. because. I look at it sometimes and I'm like, oh, this is trash. Right. But at the same time, you're right. It does bring value a lot of times. Like some, some of that content, it has huge reach. Right. And it's like the Beyonce singing in the, or it's like someone singing in the shower. Right. It's not, you need both. You need there to be some quality and you need there to be some talent. Right. Like there needs to be a, a solid combination of both things. But to me, it's all about the medium that you decide to put it out in. Like to me, I'm aware that most things that I'm going to put out on Instagram are either going to be like really well thought out and like uh, there's an attention grabbing aspect of it, or it's going to be something that is just simply attention grabbing. But that's important for that, that medium. The, the important thing for me is like when we do these kind of conversations, this lives here and this is really important for this particular medium, right? If I just was on a podcast, like being an idiot the whole time, 
it would be, which sometimes, you know, it is what it is. But if I was just doing that, the people would look at the quality of the overall product as opposed to looking them, looking at them like individual items. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And, and yeah, but talking about memes, I think that's a great development in like the ski <laughs> media landscape the past year or two or three, like all these meme pages. It's hilarious. I love it. It's, and, it's great. Uh, it's so good. There's even like a local one for like a tiny ski area in Norway. Um, uh, good stuff, just really good stuff. And you, yeah, I, I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a good thing. It's funny. Yeah. We're in a, I'm in a meme group chat with a whole bunch of like different meme account. And it's like, there's also like Cody's in there. Like it's like <laughs> fucking Cody Townsend is in a meme group chat with a bunch of fucking just people that want to make funny content for the internet and skiing. So it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> But Cody is the king of the ski meme world. He's just like, he's fully he like, If he makes posts of an episode, he'll get like 20 meme pages. Like just <laughs> boom. That's like, he doesn't need a PR. He doesn't need any agency. He just got the meme world and it's sorted. I love it. It's, and it's, it's funny too, because he'll have he'll be in all these absurd situations, right? With the kind of missions that he's trying to do. And it's very meme friendly. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm surprised more people haven't memed you. Like that's a that's a thing that could happen. There's a lot of memeable moments in some of these videos. There are some memeable moments. There is that one Norwegian page. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and then like my ex girlfriend's memes pages. They're all over it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, other than that, not so much. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I well, I guess kind of back to the the storytelling aspect of it. We should probably talk about Wavy Two also. Like not just everything else yeah surrounding it so uh, why did you feel like there was a sequel needed or a second part to it why doesn't it have a it obviously like there is a connection there between the two films but why why wavy two why not a different name and then also why did you feel like there was a there was a secondary needed to that to the first project yeah so the connection between wavy one and wavy two is is the boat right sophia it's the same it's the same boat and the story like summed up is essentially like I got off the boat in wavy one and I was like, hell no, I'm never going back on that boat again. That was terrifying, uncomfortable. I didn't sleep properly for two weeks. There was a storm. There was like, and the boat was, it's really old. So it's like always like some metal, like clanking and like waves hitting something. And like the night before, like the big last mission, I didn't sleep at all. Um, because it had been like super stormy all week and there's obviously there's a lot of sound then just like from the anchor rattling and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, and then, then last night is kind of calm, but then there's like a new sound and it's like intermittent. It doesn't have like the same rhythm. So you think you're falling asleep to the rhythm and then it changes. And you're like, oh my God, this started. So I got off the boat. I was sick of it. I was like, this is going to be a cool story to tell my friends and make a movie about, but I'm not coming back on the boat. <laughs> the captain... <laughs> The captain, Captain Crocs, the legend, who we all love, he was also sick of the boat. So he sold the boat. He was like, I'm leaving Sophia. I'm selling the boat. He sells the boat to uh, Mats Kimset, who is like a Norwegian sailor, explorer sort of dude. Also like a kind of mental health influencer of sorts, like talking a lot about anxieties and stuff. And, um, and I, so I'm touring around Norway with Wavy, the first Wavy, and he's at one of the shows and he approaches me. It's like, I bought Sophia. We should go to Svalbard. It's going to be sweet. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not going. <laughs> Sophia's terrible. 
I've heard Svalbard is all shit snow and polar bears. I'm not going. And then I talked to my buddy who I'm touring with, Osbjorn, and he's like, uh, no, it's actually pretty cool up there. And he's done, done, uh, he's done a bunch of guiding up there and he says it's pretty wild with some cool mountains and stuff. And then basically it was that. And, um, and Black Rose jumped on board to support the project, also a Norwegian streaming service, Altibox. So like, you're talking about all the streaming services. Yeah, it's yeah. Another one. Um, so they jumped on board to fund the project. And then we got uh, Celeste Pomerantz from, um, she's half Norwegian, lives in Squamish. Um, cool skier. She joined from Black Rose and, uh, and then we set sail and we sailed up. So Svalbard is, it's an island, like an archipelago actually. Um, two or three islands, I think, or like a ton of islands, two, two or three main ones, but just south of the North Pole. Mm. So I think like when the North Pole is like midwinter, it touches Svalbard and it's like the home of the polar bears and all this stuff. And uh, there's tons of mountains and we sailed up there to, we had a plan of skiing one, but then we get up there and like st- shit starts hitting the fan with like a heat wave and yeah, all kinds of stuff. And uh, yeah, it turned into like sort of kind of an experience like the first one so again not the most pleasant trip but a good story are we officially done with the boat like are we done with sophia or are you attached more now (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i was pretty yeah i was pretty fed up when i got off the boat now too i mean it's now okay so the setting is like there's a heat wave right so the snow is just melting everywhere it's not refreezing at night so we try to turn the clock around to ski at night because there's the midnight sun uh so we think the snow might be a bit uh more yeah safer and um so we're like sleeping during the day skiing during the night but then you can't but always there's someone always has to be awake uh, for anchor shift because there's like swimming polar bears like they're swimming around so you have to be like ready in case that happens in ice, like there's like ice floating around uh, in the fjords. So you got to watch out for icebergs. It's like, it's like Titanic pretty much. Um, so, so you're not fully like, you never get a full night of sleep. And then if you're also moving uh, during the day, for example, then you have to be on like these six hour shift. So six hours on six hours off. And it's just always light out. So you just kind of like go crazy with like, you wake up and you're like, is it i don't know what time of day it is i don't know what meal i'm supposed to eat i don't know when we're going skiing every all the conditions are kind of really challenging but there's all these cool mountains that we want to do when we try we try to and we do we do some cool skiing like we end up doing some cool stuff but it was very very challenging and like both mentally physically everything i think like sleep deprivation is like one of the worst things i've been been across and then it's like you have these absurd situations like we're we're anchoring on the sea ice and the captain is gonna like show us how to use a flare gun that is the scene from the movie and it's like okay here's the flare gun so basically essentially like if you go on land you have to have a rifle and you have to be armed because there's polar bears and they'll eat you and um and in norway it's like very strict with the gun laws so you need a, a license to be able to carry the rifles so only a few few of us could do that osper and the guide one of the camera and Matthias and the captain Mats. But then uh, we could carry flare guns to like scare off the polar bear. So he's going to instruct like, okay, so here's how you load it, blah, blah, blah. And we're standing there. And then it's like, and then you aim and you aim not too high, not too low. And then he's like, holy shit, the polar bear is right there. <laughs> and then the polar bear is like coming towards us while he's like doing this demonstration, he's, like getting all our shit together, jumping from the boat. And it's just like this massive, you know, the biggest 
predator, I think, land predator. That's and, fucking uh, terrifying. Just, so terrifying. Um, yeah. So I mean, it was a proper adventure, and it's a cool film, and it has it has a lot of themes. I think the main theme is just like uh, the joy of skiing in a way. Yeah. And like love adventure, which is sounds kind of bland, but as a professional skier and sometimes when you set yourself like these kind of tricky goals like going skiing on an arctic island um uh you can kind of lose focus of the fun sometimes like yeah. why you actually do it, like your real motivation and part of this film was like yeah trying to look into that um and also there's three generations of skiers on the boat so mm-hmm. you have the last the sort of like the rookie up and coming hotshot skier and then there's me is sort of like I've been doing it for a few years. And then you have Osborne who's the, I think him and Stian Hagen used to be in, it was in a magic film, I think way back. And um, they have like the two pro skiers who've been doing it the longest in Norway. Mm. And so you have like kind of these three generations of skiers in a setting. And then you kind of get to see how we approach risk differently, how we approach just the skiing differently and just kind of like working with the whole yeah ski industry thing. So there's a lot of aspects in it and it's just beautiful. Like it's an amazing place. Yeah. So, yeah. From the trailer, the setting looks insane. That's one of the things about Norway that keeps getting me to like, this is the third or fourth time that I've talked to somebody. They're like, yeah, go to Norway. Like, it's cool. Like it's, it's beautiful. Like it's, it's everything you want it to be. But so let me ask you as somebody who's been there, probably the longest of anybody that I've talked to, um, what do you like living there? Do you actually enjoy living in Norway? Like, was that, I don't know. Like sometimes I hear people say it and it sounds more about like, I don't know, the views and like just the existence and how pretty it is. And, and then I feel like they get over it in a few years or something like that. You know, like it almost seems like more of a, of a vacation sightseeing destination sometimes in my head than like a place you go to live. Oh yeah. It's, it's socialist hell, man. (laughs) Um, no, no. I mean, I've made a conscious decision of living in Norway, like actually staying here and making a life here. Um, I went to Canada in 2017, spent a better part of a season, been living in the Alps for many seasons and traveling yeah, all over the world. Like my passions are surfing and skiing. And I, in a way, I think Norway isn't the best for either. Yeah. Like it's not three times more in Canada than it does in, in Norway. Right. And, um, and, uh, yeah, no, the access is, uh, touring access is easier here, but like general access is harder, less resorts, no sleds. No helis. Uh, the surf is terrible compared to South Africa. Um, but to me, I mean, and part of it to me is obviously I grew up here. I have right. a whole family. I have a cute like network of friends and like all the people I love are here. But it's also just like a really pleasant society to live in. Mm. Like having it's fairly egalitarian. Like it's had the same process as the rest of the world since the eighties, like more inequality and stuff, but not as bad. And it's also just rich. It's like a, I compare it's like the Gulf state of Scandinavia. Mm. It's like the, because we're like a petro monarchy, right? We're like, we're literally a petro monarchy. We have a ton of oil money. So it's like, uh, most people are really are like well off. And uh, if you're homeless, there's a place for you. Like it's basically by choice. If you sleep outside, there are not even shelters there's like apartments for you if you want a place to stay so it so it feels yeah it just feels very safe and relaxed and it's not at like it is competitive to a certain degree but it's not 
in the same way competitive as maybe the US, like for colleges. Yeah. Like a good example is law school. So in Norway, there's three law schools total, and they're all just the same. Like it doesn't matter if you went to one or the other. If you got get into law school, you're in law school and you're a lawyer, and nobody cares like where you went to school. Mm. So I think it's in a, I think it's like a little more relaxed than some other places I've been where I feel like the stakes are higher. Like if you fall on your face in Norway, like in any sort of way, career-wise or yeah, if, if physically, like there's free healthcare, you don't fall as far as you could maybe in some other places. Mm. So it just it, you're able to relax a little bit like that. And I, I met a, I was surfing, I was staying in South Africa one fall and I met a Brazilian who put it to me really well because he said like, like you guys, I guess that goes for a lot of Western countries, but you're like the only guys who know like true freedom because you can work at like a grocery store for five months and then you can take six months off and go surfing and then you can go home and be fine and like not have to worry about it. And uh, yeah. So that's my Norway pitch. Yeah. Pay me a visit in Norway. I actually did a job for us <laughs> in Norway. I could invoice them more. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, that's cool. And then there's obviously stuff that's not cool, like for sure. Like there's stuff about Norwegian culture that bugs me and uh yeah, like where we put our ski resorts and uh yeah, all kinds of stuff. But uh I like it. It's good. Do you ever do you ever look at the US and just get stressed? Like that's a thing that I feel like I don't look at Norway ever and obviously it's like it's quieter I don't get the same news you don't hear about as much stuff going on but like feels like in the US there's like something dramatically like world ending happening every month do you look at things that happen over here like in the news like you're involved in skiing right so everything kind of comes through your feed the same way um, from people out here what is it stressful to you like (laughs) looking at us here uh, I mean, the forest fires definitely seem like kind of apocalyptic. Yeah. But, but then again, like I went up to Svalbard and like the Arctic is for sure like one of the places to get hit to hit the worst by global warming. We had the warmest day ever recorded on our trip, like really? ever. Like that was that was the warmest day. And I mean, that time of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to criticize anyone, but I do feel like maybe the U.S. is in a bit of a rougher spot right now than, say, Norway. Yeah. But um but at the same time uh my dad's godfather's wife would send us all these uh journals as a kid uh i was reading national geographic scientific american new york review books all this stuff uh, growing up and i feel like the u.s is like very progressive and there's some very smart people over your way and you have a lot of things going for you so and i think also like one thing is like i don't think people realize how quickly political change can happen like both for the worse of course but also for the better right like i'm reading the last uh, thomas piketty book right now he made a brief uh, history of uh, inequality or equality i think uh, 270 pages highly recommended the best economist of our time i would say and uh, he's just telling the story of how sweden went from a system of where you got to vote based on how much money you had like how rich you were so you would have this absurd situation where you had some towns like where one guy had the majority right. like, of all the people. Oh and they were like they were like i think they were the most inegalitarian country in in europe at least in the early 1900s and then they had turned that around within like a decade or two and they were the most egalitarian so i think it's like i think it's easy to look at you know t- stuff going wrong for a while and be, be get hopeless and forget just you know, I, I strongly believe that, you know, the, it's all in our hands. We can do whatever we want. And I think 
I think there's like a lot of a lot of positive stuff coming out of the US too. Yeah. I'm pretty hopeful. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's that's valid. Sometimes I'm like I get stuck in the rut of like the recent cycle where you're like, oh, yeah. and our memories are so bad. It feels like sometimes, <clears throat> and they're so short that if you just think about what happened in the last two weeks, it always feels like the world's ending or the world's the best. Like it's always like super high, super lows. But then you get to yeah. this point where, <clears throat> where you like kind of take stock of where you're at, and you're like, okay, this actually wasn't so bad. Like this year was actually pretty okay. I mean, sometimes you yeah. look back and you're like, all you remember is all the shit things. But uh, there, it definitely feels like even on years when things are feel like they're ending, there's a lot of there's some positive. For sure, and like people will be like, ah, oh, economic growth is slowing down, technological advance isn't happening as rapidly as before. I'll be like, I'm on an e-bike. I'm on an electric mountain bike. I'm pedaling with four times the power I have. I'm going up the mountain. It's amazing. And uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of good good things happening. And that also, that cycle you're talking about, I think is Ritzker Bregman. He's a historian, Dutch historian, writes good books. Um, He has this thing where like, if the new cycle was like every 10 years or every 100 years, might have been Pinkers. Anyways, no matter who said it, if the new cycle was every 10 years or 100 years instead of every week, It'd be like, okay, every hundred years, well, we have like poverty levels have gone like way down. People are living 50 years longer than they used to. We're dealing with, I don't know, all these diseases. Like just looking at my dad, he's a doctor. He's a cardiologist, does hearts. And he's been working in Northern Norway since I guess the late eighties. And just like in his career, like people aren't really dying anymore of the stuff that he was like treating. When he, when he got into it, it was like, he says when he started med school, uh, doctors had like just started uh, saving more people than they were killing, like literally, like <laughs> with their treatment. <laughs> and, and and then you know, a, a career later, he's about to retire. You know, there like people almost aren't dying of the stuff that he was he was treating, and now they're dying of you know cancers and stuff like that that come later that are just sort of you know the processes that we can't really stop just genes failing so um i don't know but yeah it's hard sometimes especially i think the worst the most terrible thing i hear about from the u.s is those school shootings yeah those sound just terrible yeah it happens so much yeah and we had we had one incident like that with uh, this right-wing extremist like 10 years ago shot like 70 kids i think and um and, and but we have one and i feel like you guys have like one every week or something it's a lot it's a lot i don't know the numbers but it's it feels like it's it's all the time and it's almost like you're desensitized to it to a point yeah and then it's good you know then you have skiing which is cool but then you hear about like how skiing is becoming inaccessible to so many people yeah because um because it's becoming so expensive and all that stuff so yeah i think there's for sure some issues but um but i think I don't know. I think if you take the long perspective and you see where, I think we see where the debate is at, you know, uh, on how to run businesses, how to tax the very richest, how to deal with global warming, even take like global warming in Norway. Now, every single political party is like, we're going to solve it. And sure, like the far right, they're going to solve it by making China emit less, but they're all going to solve it. Right, right, and right. And that's a huge step, you know, 10 years ago, there was like, nobody was going to solve it. Yeah. So it's, so it's uh yeah i think things are going the right direction i think one thing that isn't like fully going as fast though is like when is the next new like revolutionary ski design gonna come never never you know we got the we're here rocker. 
Yeah. yeah we're it. That's it. It's done. Yeah. I guess I feel like surfing has come to that spot where it's kind of stagnated, right? Yeah. In a way. And you're kind of playing around with like kind of the design, but it's pretty much the same. And I wonder if we're there with skiing, like if physically the well, way like, some people change? Yeah, that's the thing, because you can make it lighter, but then you don't have the same dampness. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, you just I take think away. Binding, maybe. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. What do you ski on for yeah. binding mostly? Um so yeah, that's a fun more ski related topic. Uh I switched to Dinafit this season and I skied on the rotation 14 yeah. uh, a lot. And then I thought, like, okay, that's interesting. This is the sort of where uh, pin touring bindings have come the past 10 years. It has forward pressure. It has a rotating toe piece so that if you get multiple hits and your heel starts to drift and your heel piece starts to open up a little bit, your toe still stays clamped. So it's way more, has way more attention. So I, I, I didn't have any pre-releases at all, like none at all this season. But then I was thinking, okay, so this is this has a lot of cool features that my first touring binding, my first pin touring binding didn't have, didn't even have brakes. So I was like, I wonder where the technology has come, like in terms of if I take the solutions from my first touring binding, where are we at in weight then? And so I got this binding, it's called the Superlight uh, 150, which weighs 150 grams, which is nothing. It looks yeah. like, it looks like nothing. It looks like someone put like a, a single nail into your Yeah, it's not a binding. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a clip. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a bikini compared to a burka, you know? <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's nothing. And then um, and then I, I tried it, I ski on it a little bit, and I'm like, wow, it actually works. And I took this binding on like some massive, like the big mountain face my brother fell down, the 1,200-foot yeah. one. I was riding it on those bindings unlocked. And like Jakob was on the cast touring. He was like in the right. Pivot 18. And I was there on this like tiny, and it held up good. So I was like super surprised. Uh, that's terrifying i don't yeah i just like felt like a shake up my spine just like thinking about skiing on that on anything ski- like no i'm good i'm good i'm sure it's okay i'm sure it's okay i and honestly though like there's a lot of companies that have made huge progress in pin bindings and in in touring bindings in general like regular i think alpine bindings are are at the same point as skis where they're pretty much there like it's not going to get how much different can it really get, right? It's almost like we're at the point of taking away as opposed to adding things or changing too much. Um, so it's like simplifying those designs. Like Pivot 15, for example, is like a step in the right direction for for look because you're like taking away from that 18 that was so inaccessible for a lot of people. They couldn't even ski it because the din was too high for, for the majority of people. And then they bring it down a little bit for the 15. And then like the next run, I'm sure, will be like a 12 din version of that like metal rotating toe piece. Um, so uh, I don't know, but like pin bindings have a lot, especially those crossover bindings, like the Duke and the shift and like a Fritchie Tecton, like those things are, that's where the biggest improvement I think is going to change over the next few years. Like I know Solomon is working on a new one that's supposed to be more aggressive, like a more aggressive version of a shift. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it'll be interesting. And, and I agree with you. Like I do, I did feel very scared atop that face. (laughs) But at the same time, I was very happy that I had, I was so fresh with my legs because it's like a 10 kilometer tour in to get there and you have to climb around many thousand feet, but it's like a big, big climb. And I felt like, I felt like I could bring my bigger, big mountain skis. Like I was in the Atris, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Like I was like a ride ski, but I could make that a lighter setup with this binding. And I think 
yeah, if you're able to, yeah, maybe get the MNC systems a little lighter. Because I feel like right now, I don't, I mean, the Duke one is like massive and pretty sturdy. Like I saw the bunch movie, I watched a bunch of movie, Magnus and Alex and the guys. Yeah. Like sending it like crazy and like the most hard packed big mountain lines, like it's so gnarly. And they were riding on that and it was holding up great. And I for sure would not trust the super light 150 on a line like that. Yeah, right. But I do think actually, I do think through it, I would trust the rotation for a team. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like the public also has a way to go psychologically and like trusting the gear and like actually because. I, I, I had the same reaction when I first got on pin bindings. Like, oh, it looks so flimsy. But then after actually riding it for 10 years, I'm, I am trusting it. And it is making my life better in the backcountry because it's just easier and like it's more lightweight and simpler to use. So, yeah. But then ja- Jakob disagrees with me. He's like, he would rather have the peace of mind, the top of the line compared right. to, compared to uh, having fresher legs. He, he carried extra liners so we're getting up 10 what? kilometers up the, <laughs> up the glacier uh, 3,000 feet up and he in his backpack he has carried like race liners extra race liners because he doesn't want to have sweaty feet like sweaty liners when he rides his life i'm like what wow. <laughs> oh my god why like it, yeah i oh the choices people make sometimes are very like the differences between people and the type of equipment that they go and they ski on is it, it's so personal for people. But like, yeah. I, I always wonder in my head, like how much it actually, how much it actually makes a difference, you know? Cause you see these people and like, actually Andrew Drummond, really good example, like big guy, strong, really good skier, only skis on like Fisher's lightest shit. Like pretty much every time I ski him, he's skiing on this stuff that like when I ski it, and he's bigger than I'm heavier than him probably, but he's like taller and a better skier than me. I'm like, there's no fucking way I ski on this shit. And I'm like ready to fold the ski in half. It like feels yeah. like there's nothing there, but then he goes and he skis like in the whites or he'll ski whatever and not worried about it at all on like a super light, like on whatever binding he feels like. And it's just so different person to person. Yeah. And but I think the thing is like, you can ski almost anything on, Unlike the flimsiest of gear, I was riding the the old Black Rose like Schemo ski, which is like a seventy six millimeter. I don't know how little the weighs; it weighs almost nothing. It's like tiny, you know, a Schemo ski. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I I took this out for a day in Chamonix because we thought the conditions were just gonna we're just gonna go like mountaineering basically. But then it was kind of how oh, there's some corn snow and like this big, big, massive, uh, big mountain face, and I was like, oh, I'll take it for a rip. <laughs> No, it works. You can ski down. You can make yeah, turns. Yeah. I was doing some threes. I was like having fun with it. But it's like, it doesn't give you the support that you will have in a bigger ski. So yeah, I just think it depends on kind of like, yeah, what you want to do and what kind of compromises you want to make. You don't ski the Freebird stuff very much, it feels like. Like, I feel like I don't see you in videos very much on that stuff. Why? Like, that actually is some of the better touring gear that exists right now. Like, that stuff skis really well. And that's why they haven't changed it in a while, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, no, like the Corvus Freebird is like a solid ski, but then, but it doesn't have a tail. I like I have a little bit of a jibber inside, deep, deep yeah. down inside. <laughs> yeah, I want to go backwards, yeah. so I prefer I prefer the Atris and and uh, yeah, to me, to me, like with my and I have tried a bunch of the skis, and with the way I ski um, and the way I've experimented so far with gear, I would rather have a bigger ski. 
and then lighter bindings. Because I find that I find that the binding performance to me is binary. It's either working or not working. It's a yes or a no. Either it keeps me in when it's supposed to, releases when it's supposed to, or it doesn't. Whereas with a ski, I feel there's more of a gradient. So I feel like there's like a gradient from a binding uh, ski that that works and it's okay and it gets me down the mountain, you know, like the Skimo ski and the ski like the Anima, which is like a big mountain charging beast. And I feel like Superman and send me off any cliff and I'll right. maybe I'll stop it, but it'll help me stomp it. Whereas with the binding, I, I don't feel that difference. It's either it works or it doesn't work. And of course, when it doesn't work, can't use it. Right. But up until that point, it works just as well as any binding, like the super light 150 when I skied it on that huge face, it worked just as well for me as the P18, Pivot 18 worked for Jakob. And that's like a, almost like a two kilo difference per ski. I think it's like insane. Yeah. So it's, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's, and that's the reason I choose, um, yeah, choose uh, heavier skis and lighter bindings so far, but uh, maybe there's some new stuff in the works could be exciting to see what happens this season yeah yeah i I can feel people ripping their hair out as they just listen to you say that yeah it's like everybody especially the cast people the cast people are psychos like they think that cast is like the solution to to everything like world peace yeah and i'll see people put you know like a shift on uh a freebird ski you know like a camox freebird and i'll be like what are you doing like you don't need that you're not gonna you're not gonna ski that hard and but then i mean that being said there is a safety element to it um i actually had this discussion with cody yeah (laughs) it's like they're not tested they're not safe and um and it's true like a lot of pin bindings aren't third party verified so there's a few there's the the rotation 14 12 those are so and so there is sort of like a safety element there like the shift would be I guess maybe safer than the super light 154 releases as well. But I personally, I've just never had that issue with the pin binding that it doesn't release. It's always been the opposite that it does release. I don't want right. it to. Right. So I'm not thinking about it. Are you skiing it locked? Like how often are you skiing I it locked? Uh, I do ski it locked when I'm in like, uh, when it's really hard back and I'm going fast. I guess ski it locked for a Kulawar on Svalbard now, but it was like very steep. And also if my tails are hitting the edge of the couloirs and I'm skiing fast because then that really knocks the ski the heel piece out so then I'll lock it like in a tiny like the couloir and wavy one that was like the really fast one I skied it locked and then I did it for one couloir and wavy two but other than that I don't ski them locked and that's also a point I would really like to stress like everything I've been saying about pin bindings in this conversation has been pin bindings unlocked because a pin binding locked is like a din 30 I think yeah. so that's it's just not inconsistent too. Like it removes all the consistency of the binding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not, I've had my friend Mina Rimaki in Chamonix she had a fall and like almost like lost her leg because of a locked pin binding. So it's like, I would not recommend that at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's important for people here, especially in New England because the, like where I am, the conditions are always firm and garbage. So like people skiing pin bindings often will run them locked and it's just like you're kind of choosing your battle a little bit there because obviously safety wise not not a great idea to ski it locked all the time but at the same time you're skiing on like the biggest failure to pin bindings is how much the vibration on the snow like sometimes that like hard pack vibration is what blows you out even if your forward pressure is correct and you're in ski mode that's uh it's like this double-edged sword i feel like sometimes on the conditions that we have out here 
Yeah, and that is the problem, and that and that's what I've at least felt now, and that's that's the reason I got on the NFL last year when the guy sold me on the whole rotation thing. Yeah, that it 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 keeps the retention or it creates something that feels like elasticity in the binding, which is what you have in the regular bindings where your boot can travel more in the binding before it's knocked out, and it it, it keeps you in there harder. But my advice to people would be, be like, just try, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Like don't don't knock it till you tried it. What I do on new bindings, I do butters. Yeah, I find that butters on hardback is kind of like the most kind of stress, at least for the heel piece. Yeah, um, you can do a skid hard on the pist. Skid hard on the pist, where if you fall, it'll kind of just slide. And like if you do that, just like then you then it's easier to trust it if you've had the binding in a high stress situation, because yeah, at least to me they've been very good the past 10 years and uh but it's it's always the same story i, I people are in the comments like oh are you doing this on pin bindings they must be locked no i don't believe they're unlocked so so yeah i'm just gonna keep 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 uh preaching yeah so. yeah um okay last last thing and then i'll let you get out of here here um what you've been working with black crows for a long time now um, I do kind of want to touch on them because I think the product that they make is is excellent, but I also feel like they keep the product the same a lot longer than people. So what do you ever get bored of the product? Like, and that's a genuine question, I guess. And it's not just like uh, I'm looking for I'm not looking for a specific answer, I guess. But I, I always look at the wall and I'm like, OK, these look very similar to last year's. Right. Even when they when they change the ski year to year. Right. You look at a lot of the other companies and you're like, they're they're trying something trying something very new, I guess, every two years, it feels like, where I feel like Black Crows keeps their cycle the same maybe every three or four years. Is that is that just me looking at it? Is it just because they keep the graphic the same? Like, what's the what's the story for you? Is it still exciting to ski on the skis year after year if they don't change? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I do get curious, of course, like when I see a new design come out here and there. Um, like, I've never skied a, a ski with, like, the you know, the... Sort of like the boat tip that yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I think Amada has one, Atomic has one. That could be cool to try. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like Black Rose generally has like something new happening every season. Like last season, they came out with the uh, the Myers Core, it's a cool which ski. is like a I guess yeah, it's like a carving, a rocker carving ski, yeah. center mounted, um, which was so fun and like gave me a whole new experience of skiing the pist. And then for the backcountry, to me, it's more like about reliability mm. in a way. Like, to me, the worst thing I do is to get a new pair of boots, for example. I hate getting new boots because I, I want the boots that I've been in that, that I know the feeling of and that I know work. And it's the same with same with binding, same with kind of all kinds of gear. I guess I'm a little conservative there in a way because the most important thing for me is that I can trust my gear when I'm on top of a line. Mm. So if I have a design, you know, like a ski, the Anima, it's been a few changes there, but it's been pretty much the same ski the past, I don't know, eight years, yeah. six years. And I love that I've had, I have six years of experience with it. And my relationship to this ski is so strong. You know, we're like an old married couple. Sometimes we have our differences, but I know we love each other and that I can trust them. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> uh, and I think that's, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's it. And then also, like, we touched on it before. Like, I honestly don't think there has been, like, that much innovation since the... Yeah. 
like Julian came up with the Canberra rocker thing. Right. Like he, he made the JJ back in the day. And, right. and that's, like, and he's designing the skis for uh, Black Rose now, Julian Renier. Shout yeah. out to you. Good man. And, um, and yeah, so I don't really see, I haven't seen so far uh, stuff in other skis that I am really missing like yeah. that. It, and and there is there is actually like some stuff, but we're working on a new model now that I think maybe will solve that. But but yeah, that's the other thing. Like I have input. Like they're really right. based. On, like they want to make the best ski for for us, the athletes, and they ask us like, what do we want? What are we missing? Yeah. And uh, when we ask for it, we generally get it. And I guess maybe what you've seen in in the variety of skis the past years is that we've been pretty happy. Yeah. So yeah. It's a good point. It's funny. I uh, Michelle Parker has a new show coming out on our network too. So like she'll have a she'll have her own podcast that we'll put out. But one of the things that I've heard her mention about the this that was my subtle plug for the because it's going to come out the next day after we talk about. Oh yeah, Michelle, happy for you. <laughs> um, but the one of the things that she always says is like like I trust riding on an anima. Like that's the ski that I. I, I like that ski a lot. Like if anybody asks me what they should get and they just want like a general, like wider all mountain ski, like that's what I push because you can trust it. And like, I've heard her talk about it a couple of times and she's just like, I really love this. And it, it feels genuine. Sometimes you hear skiers talk about their, the gear that they're on and you're like, uh, okay, like you're getting paid to say this. But it, every time I hear somebody talk about a black rose product, it sounds like they actually mean it. Yeah. And I, I haven't been on, I mean, I haven't really skied any other skis the past, I don't know if it's eight years <laughs> or what it is, but I have been happy. Like I haven't, yeah, I, I definitely don't feel like I'm compromising and I don't know how to say this without sounding like a douche, but I have been able to like, like I've been approached by other ski brands, you know? Right. And it's like, I'm forced to use back rows and like same with Michelle, you know, she's the legend of the sport and it's definitely, yeah, I, I wouldn't be, on a ski brand where I felt like it was a compromise for my skiing. Right. Cause that would kind of defeat the whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's a, yeah, it's, it's exciting with new stuff, but being able to trust your gear is the most important. And that's, I think that's the reason people have problems with pin bindings going back. Right, 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 right. I, I trust it. I know it works. It's I trust the pin bindings. Like I trust my anima, right. but, uh, but yeah, so um, I guess that's it. And also uh, coming back to the graphics again, like they're pretty similar, but I think also that's like part of what's cool. What I like about the brand, like there's a few things I like about Black Rose. They're fun guys. They like, they throw uh, electronica festivals on top of a Guy de Midi at right, 4,000 right, right. meters. And there's the culture we've been doing a web series. I think it's like episode 19 about people in ski culture, you know, from pro skiers to wine farmers who are like torn between the mountain and the vineyards and where will they live? And, um, and there's all this stuff, but then there's also like this graphical language, this visual language that Yorgo is the like graphic designer uh, or like head of graphic design um, has made. It. And it's very consistent, you know, like you can, you can, look at anything and it's like oh that's black rose yeah and i think i think that's cool and i think that like as a brand that's kind of unique like if you look at like if you look at the graphics from some other brands you wouldn't be able to tell it's the same brand without the logo on it for sure like over years you know what i mean and you don't have that with black rose at all but then again yes it's hard <laughs> it's hard to trust people that are paid to you know <laughs> I'm making, I'm, I'm releasing like a gear video now as well, along with my series where I'm like talking about gear and skiing and I'm, I'm starting it out and I'm like looking around and I'm like, yeah, I have actually been paid or like 
all of this gear is sponsored. Yeah, that's a tough thing, right? Because like you, you use it because you trust it, but also because you get paid. So like, yeah. what, where's the There's line? A of it. It's, it's bias for sure. Huge. <laughs> it's, it's huge. <laughs> like I do the same thing. We just put out a gear guide and like in the gear guide, I like have to open with the fact that I'm like, look, uh, Fisher pays us. So like, keep that in mind for every review that we write on every ski is like, that that is my bias i'm going to try to be unbiased but there's no like that's the elephant in the room right is that there's a paycheck that goes into my account from this brand yeah uh, yeah but uh it's the way of the thing and i think oh but i mean just look at the skiing speaks for itself look at the yeah. all pro skiers response look at the photo guys look at sammy look at cody look at all these people and it's um uh yeah the gear obviously works yeah like i think that's the same and uh so yeah. and i think you can tell like if i feel like the most how do you say i feel like the most uh trustworthy like sponsor relationships are the ones that last for many years and mm. i feel like the people people stay with a brand for many years is generally like they like the product right yeah and i mean like what bigger what bigger nod can you get to a company than like seth morrison skiing on those skis and just painting them black like he was skiing on those and he was skiing on blizzards uh and just painting them black like that's yeah. that's the bit, right? So uh, that guy skis them, and they're good enough for him. I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that should kind of take stock into that. Yeah, for sure. There's a there's a stab magazine that is surf media. They have this thing. It's called Stab in the Dark. We have all the shapers. They make make the best board they can make, and then uh, some surfer like Dan Reynolds or yeah. whoever rides boards, and they like they have to choose which board is the best. It would be kind of fun to do that in the ski world, kind of like anonymize make the tip and tail anonymous and then just like have them all black and then like actually do like a blind test but uh this is a good idea i'm gonna steal this idea do ethan, it ethan's, and, uh, ethan's in the booth right now ethan we're stealing this idea <laughs> it's hi ethan how are you <laughs> he just got i don't even know if he's plugged in he's probably taking it sometimes i look back there and he's taking a nap during conversation so that's uh we never know you, you fully like joe rogan style here Got yes. a dude we, we need a real guy yeah no i don't i don't know about that but it's definitely like it's nice to have so i'm not good with technology so like if i do this by myself half the time the audio's fucked up the video definitely could not happen by myself it's uh i'm not physically or mentally capable to do this kind of stuff and editing no chance that's one of the things i like about what you do so much is you're you're doing the whole bit right i have no ability to do that if i try to edit a video my brain shuts off I have a lot of help though. I have help with grading and audio and, and Jonas, the guy I work with, he, he like logs everything. Like he makes the folder structure and everything. So I just, I'm able to go and then just put the story together. So I got to give a big shout out to Jonas and Charlie and Rasmus and Miko Pekka. All you guys. Thank you. I Those are like the guys behind everything. They, they make it happen. They're the Ethan's in the booth. I like that. Yeah. Um, we all got to have our Ethan in the booth. You have to. Yeah. I mean, you need it. Otherwise it doesn't work. Um, where can people find both films when they come out? Where can people find the series? I'm assuming it's all on the YouTube page, but what is the YouTube page? Where can people find you on social? The whole bit. Um, yeah, so I'm Nikolai Shermer on, uh, all social YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. It's, uh, spelled weirdly, but I'm sure you can get it in the podcast description. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, the film will actually come out on, uh, the Black Rose, Wavy 2 will come out on the Black Rose YouTube channel. 
uh, and also on Altibox if you're in Norway. You can watch it as a series. So it'll come actually out earlier if you're in Norway, like in October. Okay, cool. I love that. Um, thank you, as always. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the time very much. Yeah, thank you. Cool to see where this podcast has come. It's Great cool. things are happening. It's been a couple of years. It's been a couple of years. This is year three in a row for us, so I, I appreciate it. You get to see some progression, hopefully. So. Yeah, good to see that. Um, yeah. Have a good day, I guess. <laughs>